Well, I really appreciate this series. If you're new to Missio or have been in and out a little bit, we've been in a series on prayer. And prayer is so significant. It's, it's been an inspiring and, quite frankly, a challenging series for me and I'm certain for many of you because prayer feels a little bit secondary to the other things that go on in our lives. But we've heard everything from hearing from God, from connecting. We've heard things like interceding, which is so powerful on behalf of God calling us into that mission for the world, for others in our community. We've talked about how to pray boldly and pray by faith. These are really incredible places and spaces of prayer. And I really think it's amazing because I think when you look at prayer, it's pretty hard to thrive and say you follow Jesus at the same time. You almost can't. If you read the Bible from beginning to end, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you almost can't go a few chapters without seeing someone praying. It's almost impossible. So to say that we love God or that we follow God or that we understand what it looks like to thrive and be in his presence without praying is nearly impossible. Like playing golf. You can hit 100 balls at a golfing range, but if you never get on the golf course, you know nothing about golf. And that's my story. I know nothing about golf. So why don't we pray more then? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there is this deep fatigue around prayer. There's a fatigue around prayer. And I think that fatigue comes when you've asked God earnestly, deeply, like this is something that is core to you and you want it so badly. And then God gives you this answer. The answer, no. Right? No. That is hard. It's difficult. You've prayed for healing. No. You've asked to have that special someone in your life, no. The grade, the college you dreamed about getting into, no. You were convinced the job that you were supposed to have should have happened like 10 years ago, no. And you are in that constant place and fatigue of hearing the answer, no, or not yet. And so we often stop praying. We treat prayer a little bit like Amazon, like Prime. I, I want it? Yes. Prime cannot say no to you unless it's not there. And so randomly boxes show up at your doorstep, hundreds of boxes. It's just not in our nature to hear no. We don't like it. It's totally countercultural to who we are and what we have. We think because our lives and our desires are primary, we should have it. But when we hear no, we don't know what to do with it. That answer is hard. So why does God say no? Why does he? Why does God say no when he asks us to pray boldly? When he asks us to do this, you don't have because you don't ask, right? Scriptures all over the place affirm that we should be asking by faith and asking persistently, abundantly, with great, great vigor. And yet God says no. Why does he say no? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons, but I think there's an undercurrent to most, if not all, reasons. I want to explore that with you today because if we can understand why God says no, I think we will, won't live in that somewhat paralysis, that state of like, what do I do with this now? This deep, deep ache that I feel inside with the answer 
No. So I want to look at a prayer request in the Bible. And it's a prayer request that got the answer no. And the person that got that answer no was Jesus. If the Son of God gets the answer no, something he deeply wanted, something he desired, and he gets the answer no, I think we can expect that even in our own lives, we can, with prayer, get the answer no or not yet, or wait, or slow down, or as Dalla Willard says, start praying for less, not for more. Right? And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 26. It's his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane in the Hebrew means olive press, and so the garden he's in is a grove of olive trees. He's just finished talking about the Lord's will for him to go to the cross in that great exposition we call the last meal, the last supper. And it's a very dark space because he's also talked about how Judas is going to betray him, though he doesn't call him out specifically. And then he goes in even a little further. It's even harder because now he tells that Peter is going to deny that he ever knew him in that moment of absolute insanity after the cross. He's going to say he never knew him at all. And so this is the framework and the mindset of Jesus as he comes into this prayer request. We're going to go from Matthew 26, from verses, chapter 26, from 36 all the way through 45. In the middle of that is kind of that apex where we figure out the why God says no to even Jesus and why he says no to us. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow on the screen. And if you want, there's a red book in front of you. That's on page 985. You can start there with us, okay? Verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. Now, this word sorrowful, so that you understand the frame of mind that Jesus is in, and troubled, is really hard to translate from Greek to English. It's simple Greek. All of the Bible is in simple Greek, so that anybody could read it. Common language for anybody. So, it wasn't supposed to be difficult, but this word in the Greek, troubled and sorrowful, is really hard to translate. If you were to literally translate it from Greek to English, it would be the word shocked. He was in shock. He was in utter trauma. His angst, his tension, his pain, his fear. If, if Jesus is what we call the new Adam in the New Testament, that he's the full humanity of what God had always envisioned humanity to be, if, if what Adam can't do in Eden, in the garden, and now Jesus is accomplishing in Gethsemane, then this is the picture of what humanity is supposed to look like. And it's supposed to look like it's okay to go to God with all of this stuff that you're feeling. Even with the requests that say, hey, I want to do something different than what you want, God. That this is actually how humanity is supposed to look in the face of things that are difficult. So we're not to ignore all of what goes on in our lives. And we're actually to go to God with prayer. People always ask me when they realize I'm a Christian and why I follow Jesus. Because I'm pretty honest about it. Not weird about it, but I'm just honest. When they ask me, what did, what, what did you do this weekend? I say, well, I went to a, a retreat. They're like, yo, that sounds kind of weird. 
I'm like, well, let me explain it to you. And then they asked me these questions like, why do you follow Jesus? And I said, well, I follow Jesus not to be more religious, but to become more human. The way God designed it. With a loving father. With a God who's telling me, this is how you are to be. Transparent. Open with me. Conversing. Talking to me about the hard stuff. The stuff you want. And eventually, the answer, no. So why does he get the no? Well, it's here embedded in his prayer request. In 39, it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What's the request? This word cup in symbols symbolizes God's wrath. He's pointing to the cross. He's talking about the cross he's about to take. That's what he's saying. This is the Son of God. This is our Savior saying, I don't want to do it this way. That's Jesus saying that to the Father, that this is going to be hard. He's not saying, I don't disagree with the plan. He's saying, this is going to be hard. Can we do it differently? Is there another way? And we know after the cross and after the resurrection, the answer is what? What's the answer? No. You can't even say the word no, can you? It's so hard. And that's the answer he gets. He knows that's the answer. That's, that's part of this reality. Why does he get the answer? No. What's well, at the tail end of that frame, right? Go back to that verse, please. The tail end of that verse is, not my will, but your will be done, right? Not my will, but your will be done. What does that mean? Not my will. What he's saying is, you have this greater vision than me. If eternity is this big and I only see this finite continuum of time, then of course, if there is a greater vision, then that is the reason why I am getting the no. For if God is truly loving, he wouldn't give us something that was unloving, but better or greater or more important for us in the space and time that we are here now. Greater vision, a greater thing for us. And so that's the reason. That's the reason why God says no, that God has this greater vision for our lives. And I think that feels a little facile, right? It feels a little bit simple, too general. But in reality, it talks about the paradox of prayer because on one hand, like I said, God is saying, you need to pray in faith and in my name and it will be done for you. And on the other hand, God is saying, I can say no. And that feels unsettling. And yet, in the paradox of prayer, it's actually quite comforting, and it's actually brilliant, because what he's saying is, as risky as it is for me, God, creator, father, relationship, to give you the power of prayer, I will not let you screw it up. I won't. I won't let you screw it up. I won't let you screw up what's better for you. I won't let you screw up what's better for the other person. Even though in your, your limited scope, you can only see this, and you think that's better for them, when in reality, it may be that you want that for them and not what they want for themselves, that God wants for them. So this is where we find ourselves, that God is constantly saying, pray, pray boldly, but just know, I got it. And that no answer is hard, and as much as that, there is a deep ache in that, God is saying to you, it's okay. There is something greater. It's like a circuit breaker. CJ and I, for whatever reason, think that we can put as much stuff in one socket of electricity. In the morning, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the rush of the day. Maybe it's because we just, we just like, well, screw it. Stick it all in there. Curlers, shaver, 
you know, toothbrush, all of it, like the whole thing, hair dryer, oh, the hair dryer puts it over, it always puts it over, and eventually, the electricity goes off, and we're like, the kids are like, hey, what happened to electricity, I can't get ready, and then I have to go to the garage, and eventually, I see the circuit breaker, and of course, the switch is on. It flipped so that what? All of that that is coming out of that or going into that is not acceptable. It doesn't work because it's dangerous. It could create infrastructure issues. It could create fires that we cannot handle. In the same way, God has said, look, I, I've given you this beautiful access to me with the living God, and yet I've said, I know you think there's this weird thing about me saying no, but in fact, it's actually the most comforting thing you can have. Because if you are praying with the right motives, if you are praying persistently and bold, and if you are praying by faith that God has not abandoned you, he's actually just saying, I got something so good, but you got to wait for the good. you got to wait for the vision. It's coming. That's why God says no. And I know this is not surprising, nor that you don't understand this. For eight years, we kept hearing no at Missio. You know what that no was? No, you can't be in this space on Sundays. No, we have to buff the floors. No. No, no, no. And Dom would come up here, and I would feel him when he would say it didn't work out. I just feel like God is saying, not yet. This is not the right time. And you know, for us who live in that hurry state, we're like, what's the problem? Let's go get a piece of property. Like, it's not that hard. But yet God in prayer, Dom in prayer, the staff in prayer, like it just wasn't time. And then in the eighth year, when the pandemic comes and everything is shut down, there's actually no church on Sunday. Jesus is like, God is like, here, yes, a building. And we're like, what? And yet, you have to know. You who are on Zoom this morning, you are in this space right now, you are in the pocket. You know what I mean by the pocket? You are finally in the pocket of God's plan. That former community, nothing wrong with those peeps, couldn't do what we're about to go do. This community, at this time, for this space, for the sake of the gospel, is about to do something that we cannot possibly imagine. You are in it. But we had to hear no for eight years. Some of you said, I want to bear children. And God has said no or not yet. And then years later, or months later actually, God said yes. But it also led you down a different path. Some of you became hosts that save families. You became parents by fostering kids. And then some of you adopted kids. You changed my life. Because when I see you, when you love kids, you show me what it looks like to be adopted as children of the living God. You show me the story of God. You show me the narrative of God. You Teach me what it looks like to be, an un, to be a loving, an unconditional, loving kind of, if you will, father to my own kids. You are amazing. God did that great work, and you couldn't even see it happening, but we did in the end. So God says no, because there's a greater vision, and we have to rest in that. Look, if Jesus had gotten a yes, now I'm being a little bit generous with my interpretation here. I mean, I, I don't know what Jesus would have done differently. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in my John Changathonian's Bible chapter right now. But I think he could have been like Thor Thunder. Like, here it is. I'll bring my, my rod and my hammer. 
I mean, he's probably like, I'm tired of being a humble. Like, I come into the poor family. I gotta, I gotta, I, sometimes I gotta come in and riding in on a donkey. Like, I, I can't even, like, bring a chariot for crying out loud. I mean, could you imagine if, if Jesus had gotten the answer yes from the Father, what he would have done? Let's just say for a second, I mean, I, I know it's very human and, and it's, it's all based on my own thinking, but let's say he just came with his authority. That would have ruined it all. That would have ruined God's greater vision. Caesar had kept saying over and over again, you're going to be mine. I'm going to force you into cultural assimilation. I'm going to force you by taking everything that you have. And only when you submit to me as Caesar, and he claimed to be the son of God, he claimed to be the, the savior, the Messiah, only then can you have. Jesus says, God says, no, here's the greater vision, Jesus. We're going to do this. We're going to be sacrificial. I'm going to sacrifice you. We're going to sacrifice our lives. And we're going to give it all up so they can have everything. And we're going to love people into the kingdom, not fear them into the kingdom. So when they make that final decision to say that, hey, we're on this journey, and you're connecting with me on a daily, regular basis, and we're changing the world, it won't be because we took something. It will be because we gave them everything. That's the greater vision. That's a greater vision for Jesus. And, and if you're here today and you're like, oh, gosh, you know, I just I keep getting the no answer— Okay, at least you know why. But that doesn't stop the debate, does it? It doesn't stop the debate. What are we supposed to do? You've heard these statements culturally. Take it on the chin. Take one for the team. Suck it up, buttercup. I don't know who the buttercup is, but I hate that one. My mom used to say in Chinese, put your big girl pants on. Literally, your big girl pants on. Like, just, just stuff it all in. Is that what Jesus does? No. In fact, he does the opposite. And if you go here, you'll see in verse, in verse uh, 39, 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father... If this can't pass, unless I have to drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping. Again he comes, for their, for their eyes were heavy. These disciples are tired. Not lazy. I, I'm, I'm serious. They're tired. They've been, Luke says that they were so tired because, you know, they cried themselves to sleep. That's what Luke says. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again again he prays again and again he doesn't stop praying he's not like a bully on a playground where the little kid says well i don't like these teams so i'm going to take my ball and leave and so that no one else can enjoy this he's not actually saying hey i'm going to stop i'm going to stiff arm you father i'm just i'm just going to leave you all together and so that none of this happens actually what does he do he goes into prayer more but what he specifically does is he starts to pray he prays the deeper ache out and he starts to ask God for a deeper kind of strength. And this is why I, I think this, because in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, In the days of his flesh, in his bodily earthly life, his person and work, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard. He was heard. And what does that mean in Luke chapter 22? It says this, 
After he says, if you're willing, this is his prayer, remove this cup from me. Verse 43 says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more, not less. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus isn't trying to what? He's, he, he's asking for God's help. He, he's, he's acknowledging that this answer is no. And I say that because when you go to the second prayer, it's not the same as the first one. If you go to the second prayer, he actually says, if it can't pass. That's different than the first one. The first one is, if it's possible, let it pass. The second prayer is what he repeats again and again and again, Scripture says. Earnestly praying into that. He's not asking God to change his mind. He's not asking God anymore to change the plan. He's heard the word no. He understands that this is what he's going to do. And so he prays the deeper ache, and that's what we're supposed to do with no. The first thing we do is we pray our deeper aches, asking for God's grace. The most powerful words you can, add, you can share to the Father is what? Help me. Help me. But, but help me do what? what? What is the strengthening here? Well, if you go to verse 41, it says what? Sit here, right? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. That you don't what? That you don't fall into what? Temptation. What's the temptation? N.T. Wright correctly acknowledges this word temptation is really the word trial. What's this test? What's this temptation? What, what's the constant need for praying over and over again that they would have to somehow deal with temptation? What is it? Well, I think the temptation, go ahead and flip it, is this idea about believing in certain things about our identity, that these lies exist. Think about Peter for a second, which is who he tells this to and the disciples. Peter is going to deny that he ever knew Jesus, and he's going to wallow and believe that everything happened because he said that he didn't know anything about God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane could very well, as he did, as, Eden, as Adam and Eve did in Eden, heard this lie that you're not enough. In the wilderness for 40 days, it's the same question. It's the same lie. It's not enough. You're not enough. And then he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he hears it a third time. A little coincidental, but true. Like he prays three times, he hears this lie three times. And what does he hear? He hears, you're, you're not enough. And he says, no, I am. And that's, that's, that's the lie. You could wallow in your belief that the reason why God doesn't give me what I ask for is because I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. I'm damaged goods. I did something wrong with my life. I did something wrong to damage that whole thing. I messed up my kids. I, I, I. And sometimes we think it's also, when we talk about sin, it's not just the things we do, but sometimes the things that are done to us. It leaves us broken. On the other hand, you could be like the disciples after the de death of Jesus, and they're up there freaking out, thinking God's not real. God's fake. God's not good. You can shake your fist and be angry and say, God is not good. God is torturing me with my desires. God is taunting me and playing with me and doing all this. And soon, anybody who's been around people who've gone through deep trauma or pain or suffering or heartache know that these things, when you start believing in these things, you start doing things with your faith, with your life, with your words, with your actions that cause you to spiral. Eventually, you live in kind of a temporary hopefulness by medicating and doing more things with your life, but you still have that deep ache that is unresolved, and there is this 
heartache and restlessness that you cannot overcome. And then you start doing things that you regret years later. The way we actually do this in hearing the difficult and dealing with the deep ache of no or unanswered prayer is not ignoring it, but going to God with it. A deeper, a deeper level with our ache. Now I know some of us are saying here, well, Jesus gets strengthened by angels. I've been praying forever around that deep ache, and I don't feel God's strength. Well, it's really interesting, because here's the second thing that we see Jesus do. In verse 41, the commandment is what? Watch and pray. Who's that commandment to? Who's the commandment to? The disciples. In fact, he takes out of the 11 who are there with him, he brings them in a little closer, James and John, Peter. And he says, watch and pray with me. What is he? He's inviting others into community to bear the burden. You see, you want to experience God's totality of God's grace, you can't do it without a community around you that will lift you up and pray with you and help you. You can understand it to the sense that, yes, God, I think there are some who are incredible heroes of faith who, who've been able to do that, but in, in, in reality, most, if not all of us, need a community that helps us tangibly understand what it looks like to be strengthened. God gives us this space, these people, our friends, our family, to wrap them, us around and, and watch us and pray for us, not in some judgmental way, but in a loving way, interceding like Vicki talked about last Sunday lifting you up in prayer. A few uh, years ago, CJ and I were, were, was, we were praying for a young girl who was, who was struggling with cancer. And man, we, we were convinced. I was, I was convinced that God was going to rid her of the cancer. I, I, was, I was convinced. I mean, we had so many victories along the way that it just seemed like God was going to say yes to this cure. I mean, I just, I just thought it was going to happen. And then she lost her battle to cancer. And it broke everybody. And I was with her dad, just trying to be quiet, because that's what you do. You don't give theological lessons. You don't give truths. You just sit and you listen. And then he said, you know, the hardest thing was that she was scared in this last few stages of her life. And I asked him, why the glow then? Why, 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 why was she so courageous? Why did she have this, this peace about her? And he said, it was because God had sent this incredible community around her. She was praying for healing. They were praying for healing. And then I was thinking about this, that it wasn't just the churched. It was the unchurched that God was sending. It was this incredible medical staff. It was these athletes from professional teams. It was her teachers. It was her mentors. It was her, it was her teammates in sports. It, it was the entire school she was a part of. It was literally everybody and anybody. God was giving strength to this beautiful young lady. And I know as she was thinking, as she was breathing her last, if you will, that she was experiencing the totality of God's grace. 
as she breathed one last breath and then breathed the full one as she entered into the presence of God, I could almost envision her glowing because she was loved into that next stage. You cannot experience God's grace in that deep ache as you pray it alone. You can't. So these are the two things we do as we yield to God's greater vision. We ask, we pray that deeper ache, but we ask God for the help to overcome whatever it is that we are to overcome. And as we do that, we do that in community. And when we can do that, that is an authentic community that makes Jesus fully known so that others can come to fully know him. Happens. That's when it happens. And as that happens, you can know this. You can do anything. You can get through it all. Someone in this space right now needs to hear this. Someone in Zoom needs to hear this. No matter what your deep ache is, you can get through it. You can get through it, but you need God's grace. You need God's grace. And this is how it ends for Jesus, because the stunning conclusion is that the no catalyzes a deeper faith in prayer that transforms our lives. Look at what, look at what, look how Jesus ends this. Then he came to them, this is verse 45, and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. I think in my mind, when I was, when I was younger and I read, read this, I used to, used to think, I thought he was probably yelling, but now I think he's whispering or something, you know? There's a, there's a confidence, a gentle confidence here. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go, let's be going. My betrayer is at hand. It's not that it was easier, it's not that it was any less difficult, it's that it actually became something he knew he could do. And so he said, let's go. Let's go do this. Isn't the true efficacy of prayer, this incredible efficacy of prayer, found and bound, not in how I move mountains by faith, but the faith that is required in me to receive the answers that God gives me as well? To receive those answers that God is internally placing in my life to position me for whatever I might receive later externally or even what I might receive and do eternally for the world. You have no idea what God is doing with the answer no. No idea. But I do know this. It is a greater thing. That's what I know. And so I'm going to invite Kelly to come forward. And it's like the Academy Awards. You know, he's like, I got to get up here because John won't stop, stop talking. Are you dealing with a deep ache? Pray. That's what you do. Are you dealing with a deep ache alone? Pray and ask others to pray with you. But don't not do anything with your deep ache. Because when you do that, you don't really know what God has got for you later. In the next 60 seconds, I just want us, 60 seconds, to show you how powerful 60 seconds can be in your day. That you would quietly, however you feel, ask God and say this to God, help me, Father. Help me, Father. Help me, Father. 
whatever that answer is that you've been getting or that not yet answer or what you feel is that middle abyss of unanswered prayer, would you just say, help me, Father? And in that space, would you ask God to encourage you to find that person, the courage to find that person, to, to ask them to help you and intercede on your behalf because God is hearing, God is listening. And I know that because when he puts his hands on a cross, not like this when he's praying, but like this out here on a cross, he's actually praying and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he is completely silenced. It is completely shut off, not for himself, but for you so that you can now what? You can now hear and know that God is hearing and listening to you. And if you're hearing, you don't have a deep ache. Won't you find the person you know who does? It doesn't take very long. It won't be very hard. But won't you, as a loving disciple of Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for you, love someone enough out of that place of being completely loved by God to love someone who needs God's grace? 60 seconds, and then we'll sing, okay? Love you, church.